Blog Talk Radio. show me to carry you for 90 minutes of funk to your Tuesday night. Now, first off, i like to say, you could have been anywhere in the world, but you're here with us. And we appreciate your patience. I'm your host, Mark, the Game Changer, one-third of the illustrious three-man booth. Before we get into the proceedings this evening, post-Super Bowl show, let me introduce the illustrious three-man booth. To my right, I got my man, he will holler at the people. Man, I'm, I'm glad I'm not in Sochi. He's glad to be here. You know, I don't have to drink the water. <laughs> I don't have to lay in the crazy bed. I'm just, I'm just glad. It, it feels like Sochi out there with that, the winter out here, but I'm glad I don't have to deal with that Sochi stuff. Glad to be here with the RSG crew. <laughs> DJ started off political, okay? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but I will say about Sochi, I mean, given all the gripes and complaints and just 
all of the craziness that's going on over there, I, you have to ask a question. How did they get an Olympics? <laughs> right. I mean, could you pick a place in more turmoil to have a, a world uniting event? I mean, like, seriously. I don't know. That, that's that's a little odd to me, but you make your bed, you got to sleep in it. They started, they, started, they started with controversy. Of course. You know, and stuff. We go, I mean, they just started with controversy. You just knew it was downhill, like literally not downhill skiing, but just downhill from there. It's been like that. They lucky don't nobody watch the Winter Olympics. <laughs> Ow. <laughs> you know, other than figure skating, you know, all that stuff, yeah. I mean, so let me bring in let me bring in my, my uh, the final member of the three man booth, my man one hundred grand. Phil T sports PhD. Holla at the peoples. Hey, what's up fellas? Speaking of the Winter Olympics, I watched the thirty for thirty. It's called uh I forget the name of it, but it was a Tanya Harding story. And oh wow. <laughs> The whole oh, Nancy wow. Kerrigan. Now Nancy Kerrigan was not involved in the story, but Tanya was. I mean, a, a third of the hour was her telling her side of the story. So it was. Uh, I almost forgot how crazy that was. It's been 20 years. It was 1994, man. And wow. for those that don't remember, uh, Tanya Harding and Nancy Kerrigan were two of the top figure state f- figure skaters in the U.S. They were. Um, at nationals, trying to qualify for the Winter Olympics, and <laughs> Barack Obama said another day uh, he messed around and get kneecapped. Um, <laughs> Tanya Harding's ex-husband and the security guard and a few other people conspired to. Uh, take a crowbar or something to Nancy Kerrigan's knee. She was unable to perform in the Nationals, and thus Tanya easily earned the bid for the Winter Olympics. Uh, There's been some controversy how much she knew, if she knew anything, if she was part of the conspiracy or not. Um, But it was an excellent 30 for 30. It's one of the better ones I've seen in a while. And uh, when you mention Winter Olympics, it made me think of that. Yeah, and, and that whole situation, you know, that's where you look at certain folks and you just say, you know what, this is why we can't have nice things. <laughs> <laughs> this is why we can't have nice things. Like, because y'all get a little fame, y'all get a little bit of a little bit of notoriety, and y'all want to y'all want to bring the street out the street. All right, the streets got to stay in the streets. All right, and you can't bring the streets. To the civilized world, you just can't. It's not gonna work out for you. And in this situation, I think somebody tried to bring the streets out in the trailer park or whatever <laughs> out to the real world, and you can't do that. You can't do that. So, yeah, we got a banging show for you all tonight. You know, I'm sure y'all out there wondering why they spending so long on the intro. So we are gonna get it moving. This portion of the show is known as the intro to let them know. We're going to knock through, knock, uh, knock through the, uh, the rundown of what we have in store for you tonight, some of, some of all of which we'll get to, some of we won't. We're going to cover as much ground as we can and as much ground as necessary. If we get into something good, we're going to roll with that, all right? Sometimes we get deep in thought. You just got to roll with us, all right? 
You listen to the Real Sports Guys, realsportsguys.com. We are in the midst of the intro to let them know. We're going to hit you off with what we got. First, we're going to talk about something that we've, uh, uh, an issue that we've given a lot of voice to, a lot of airtime to. Um, hopefully, it raised some awareness around, which is the plight of college athletes. Um, and with players at Northwestern um, beginning the early stages of possibly being able to uh, unionize, uh, it's something we're going to talk about. We've had Ramogi Huma. Uh, humor on our show. Um, he's at the forefront of the lawsuits, um, again, uh, the likeness lawsuit against EA Sports and other video games companies that the, uh, on behalf of college athletes who have previously participated and been, uh, have their likenesses used in video games. Um, so he's been on our show. We've had Dr. Alan Sack on who's talked about the issue as well. You know, we've covered this issue inside and out, so we just want to revisit it and talk a little bit more about it. Um, the possibility of uh, players being able to unionize and, and just share some of our thoughts because this is something that we've all dug into pretty hardcore. Um, we're also going to hit you off with some NFL talk. We've got to reflect on the Super Bowl. Wow. Um, what a game. Uh, ended real quick. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we'll get into that. I mean, I was out, you know, I figured I could, I could skip the first half. You know, I went to, I took my daughter. I have a daughter who's a basketball player. So we went to the gym, put up some jump shots, figured we'd catch the halftime show and then come in and catch a good second half. And uh, we caught Bruno Mars' performance and then saw the score and was like, whoa, what happened? Um, so uh, we'll get into the Super Bowl. You know, we'll have some uh, different topics. We'll hit on that. Uh, we're gonna get into the NBA, and we have one NBA topic that I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna make the guys mad tonight. <laughs> if you guys know one of my one of my mainstay agendas is the uh, overblown uh, image uh, historical importance of the one Kobe being Bryant, and so I have another chapter to uh, to unveil in my uh, book of Kobe. So. I'm gonna make the guys mad. I, I, I might make the guys mad tonight. You know, they might get mad at me. They might have to bring out cocaine, which is our uh, our RSG pit bull. <laughs> <laughs> cocaine might have to make an appearance tonight. So um, let's go ahead and jump into it. Funky editorial. Uh, let me get the sound up. Of course, can't can't start the funky editorial without the sound. You're listening to the Real Sports Guys, RealSportsGuys.com, RSG, Renegade Radio. We gotta jump into it like this. Uh the computer's acting a little weird, but I'm gonna get the sound up in one moment. Give me a second, fellas. Give me a second. Give me a second. Here we go. Fellas, for the one thing it. we need to say. Shall we say it, y'all? Melvin, Jimmy, Coleman, Ryan, sit! Everybody wanna get funky one more time. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Excuse the technical difficulties. We was having a little trouble with the headset, you know, getting the play in from the booth. It was taking a little bit, but we got it in. All right. So University of Northwestern, all right, this is, again, there's a lawsuit that's in litigation right now um, on behalf of former NTA athletes whose likenesses have been used in video games. Uh, there's a swirling debate going on about whether or not college players should be compensated for their services to the universities that they attend, um, whether or not a scholarship is enough, so forth and so on. And now we have 
players at the University of Northwestern taking the steps to possibly be able to unionize. Um, you know, this is a topic that, again, we've covered a lot of ground on here at RSG. So, you know, when this, when this story broke, I wanted to tap the brains of some guys who, uh, who I know are deep thinkers on this particular subject. So I'm going to start with D. Wills. Um, he's in higher ed. Uh, this is his area of expertise. This is an area that he's dedicated his life to. Uh, he understands the plight of the college athlete. He also understands um, the nature of higher ed and the value of a higher education degree. Um, so he understands both sides of this coin and both sides of the debate. So, D. Wills, I want to come at you first and have you offer your perspective on the situation. As far as, one, players being able to unionize, what do you think about that? Um, you know, one of the things that's uh, been interesting about that conversation and um, the NCAA's response to it um, kind of framing in this education versus labor framework as it relates to unions, and I, I would say that there, there may be a precedent for um, what the players are looking for. And a lot of and they're unionizing is, you know, I know Ramoki's talked a little bit more about what it, how it relates to um, the revenue. But I think when you, when you hear some of the players talk about it, uh, a lot of it has to do around healthcare-related issues, some of the basic rights that they think they should have as students uh, at the university. And I, I believe that there's precedence around this if you look at how graduate students at both private and public institutions have unions. And the, 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 the scholarship part of it uh, for a graduate student, PhD would understand this, is a lot around um, – their academic reasons and other reasons for being at the university, and then the the unionizing part is around the TA shifts, the teaching, and so the insurance that's around, the labor aspects around what they do, but there's still that blended between kind of education and then the value added they they are contributing to the university um, uh, community, and so I think you could frame it in terms of how graduate students and other um, uh, professional degree students who have been unionized at, at large publics. I mean, even at where I was at, Wisconsin, at, you know, TH had a union. Um, and so I think there, I, there's not much as much separation as you might hear folks on the NCA side saying or people arguing this thing about being paid or not. But in those situations, they have the ability to talk about things around health care because what they do on the field is more, you could even argue, is a work study, is a contribution, is something else that should be negotiated. And then the money, as any other thing, is around their leadership, acumen, all that other stuff that we give scholarships for just beyond academics. We give, we give awards, merit awards, other awards for scholarships, academics, and all kinds of stuff to other students who are not athletes. So I, I, think, I think some of this, you know, depending on how Ramogi's approaching it, isn't as much of a wider chasm than people are presenting it to be. Where it might lead because of the money is, would be interesting once you've got people at the table talking about things. But I think the initial things when you hear um, uh, the Northwestern's players talk about it in that way, that's not much different than you hear graduate students who are in unions talk about what they want. Yeah, it's a very complex and unique idea and a unique approach to uh, addressing the issue of athlete compensation, um, at, at, at collegiate athlete compensation. 
um, you know, we always ask the question, well, I, I at least do, um, and I think we're all in the same boat that, you know, I think we agree that institutions are making a lot of uh, money off these, off the labor of these uh, particular athletes, and at some point there needs to be some form of a kickback, um, whether it be a trust fund that's, that, that's created um, or whatnot. We believe that there needs to be some sort of kickback, some sort of compensation, um, this takes it a step further and goes beyond just compensation. And I think people try and uh, demean the whole concept when they just want to talk about money, 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 you know, because then it's easy to say, well, they're just greedy. It's easy to care, color it as greed um, when you just focus on the money. Um, there are layers to this particular issue that go beyond just money. When you talk about being able to bargain for a, a work schedule, you know, so to speak, or a practice schedule that allows student-athletes to actually take advantage of the education piece that they're this, – I mean, this could be very powerful because we know in certain situations yeah. student-athletes are athlete students and the athlete comes first, and because of that they're not able to fully grow as academics. Um, you know, and that process is stunted a little bit. Ph.D., you're on, you're on the side of this where, as a uh, Ph.D. student, um, you do a lot of teaching. You kind of probably have a, a better understanding even more so of how the unions work with graduate students who are also oftentimes on scholarship or fellowship um, or some sort of receiving some sort of university-sponsored um, compensation, scholarship, or grant um, of some sort. Uh, what's your perspective on the issue? My perspective is I'm glad that it's happening. Um, Ramogi Huma was was on our show, gosh, at least once for the last two or three years. His first time was uh, March 20th, 2012, if you want to pull that up on the podcast. And he mentioned back then that there have been numerous models um, that have worked. And it was just so encouraging to see that a school with such a high academic standard such as Northwestern as well as in a power conference, the Big Ten, has really stepped out and their student-athletes are, are ready to take some action. And when you have that much clout, you can't, you can't brush it underneath the, the floor anymore. You can't. So I'm looking forward to, to see what comes of it. Um, as you mentioned, as a graduate student, um, you know, mo most campuses have unions for graduate students because uh, they are considered in many respects and paid as staff members. Um, and so, therefore, a lot of the extensions uh, that staff would have are carried on as if you are a university employee. Um, so, in that regard, I could see the student-athlete being treated somewhat like that um, but I'd be interested to see how that all works out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I think listeners out there, as you hear people talking about this issue, I think if you're in favor of this particular move, what you have to do, and if, even if you're not, I think you have to look past the idea that this is about money, that this is some sort of money grab by players. This is about being able to have a little bit more control and say over, one, how you're treated, um, you know, and, and the conditions in which you are going to operate in in this university, you know. I think to constantly go back to where they're getting a scholarship, yes, they're getting a scholarship, but they're also playing a sport. 
So is that where the transaction begins and ends? Because if it does, then why does the university or the NCAA get to regulate all these outside dealings beyond the classroom? If what you're offering me is a scholarship, then after I, once I, you're, you're giving me a chance to get an education, all right? I'm playing football, basketball, baseball, running track, volleyball, whatever I'm doing, I'm doing that for you in exchange. Our deal is done at that point, you know. And so this gives the players some tools to be able to say, look, all right, we're doing our share. If you're going to hold us to these uh, other outside, under these other outside rules, laws, restrictions, then we want to be able to have some say in what those are. And I think that's a very powerful thing, and I think that's a great step for players to be able to take. And I don't think it devalues the experience at all. It just says that if this is going to be an equal trade where, you know, I'm giving you my services and you're going to give me a scholarship, well, then, you know, why do you get to set all the parameters in which I have to work? You know, as if I'm not, as if for some reason you're bringing more to the table than I am, you know, and it allows them to operate on an equal playing field with coaches, uh, athletic directors, and others um, and advocate for themselves which, again, I, I have no qualms about. Um, you know, Devon, I want to bring you back in. Where do you think this ends up? How do you think this changes the game? Because this changes the complexion of the conversation. The conversation to this point has been about the exchange of dollars. This truly is a power grab. <laughs> you know, money, I think people misconstrue money with power. This is a very different kind of a power grab, and I think a more powerful power grab. How do you think this changes the game? Yeah, I think you hit it right on that. That this has nothing to do with money. This is about say. And I think when people talk about student athletes, uh, one of the things that when you know, they say, "Well, you get a free education." Well, free education means I have choice. And I think you could talk to a lot of student athletes who have a passion. You have stories of student athletes who had academic passions that they weren't able to pursue because the football or basketball or track or tennis got in the way. And this does allow for those kind of discussions around that, plus around medical issues, which I think is, for some of these athletes, probably more important than this other stuff. You know, what, what, what do I get when I'm done or if I get hurt? Or the whole idea about making it renewable, you know, where, you know, I can really put it all in if I know I'm guaranteed for four years of education rather than year to year. So this does change it. And what this particular case does is because it's Northwestern, and so you got a quality institution, one of the top institutions in the, in, in, in the world. And they're, they, they've done significantly well athletically. See, that's the important piece about this. This is a team that at the beginning, their football team at the beginning of the year was a highly ranked, had a showdown, and, yeah, they slipped. But it's a, it's, a, it's a program that has some recognition and has some bandwidth as well as a basketball program. So, you know, it's not a it's not a program that uh, that hasn't been on the national scene uh, for moving forward. And on top of it, they have a head coach who is a college kind of icon when he was a player, who is being supportive in a lot of different ways. So, it Northwestern is actually the right place. And what's interesting about this, and we haven't talked about this, decisions like this actually mean more to schools like Cal, Northwestern, Stanford. In some ways, this is pushing back to you know, the 1950s. The, the programs are like Yale and Harvard, right? You think about it. You know, as, as Alan Sack talks about the evolution of the complex of college sports, 
Well, you think about this, how this might switch. It makes, it, it makes a, a, a school like Northwestern or Cal, you start to move things back in a different direction. Some of these institutions who lost out in this building of this industrial complex start to come back and play. So that's an interesting dynamic, a Notre Dame. Some of these, some of these, these, these great kind of, you know, institutions that balance this kind of true student athlete, somehow they come back and play if this thing goes in a different direction. And that makes, can make a lot of people nervous. Yeah, and it's a great selling point if you're a recruiter. You know, if you're a coach recruiting, you know, that's, an, that's, a, that's a very interesting thing to come into a, a living room and discuss with a family. Um, you know, in particular, if you have a student athlete who is um, academically skilled enough where they can uh, gain admittance into and they're considering a school like Northwestern or Stanford or Cal, um, some of these more prestigious private and public institutions who are in the power conferences, um, or Vanderbilt, places like that. That's an interesting uh, feather in your cap if you're a coach. Um, it'd be great to get some of the coaches' perspectives on this and how they feel uh, it might impact their role um, as far as, you know, the work that they're going to do with these young men and, and, and how they're going to work and, and how much they're going to work and how often. Um, it's very it, – it, we're just at the very beginning stages um, of the evolution of college athletics. You know, I think in five years, and, and, and years what I would say, things are going to be very different. Go ahead, Devon. And let me yeah. ask, even if it doesn't go, go through, in, in order for not, for not to go through, the NCAA and other people are going to make some major changes towards this more balanced student, student academic piece to strengthen their position for it not to go through. You see what I'm saying? Right. So you might, they might right. do that whole thing about being optional, renewable. So, I mean, they might do some things and push some things. College presidents might push some things in a way that they wouldn't do to, to keep from that kind of control, which could still be a good thing. Yeah, I, I, like, to see, I like to see guys be able to transfer um, freely, to move freely from university to university. If it's truly about academics and I make a choice to attend another school, and, it, it, and it's truly about the value of the scholarship, and another school wants to offer me a scholarship, and I'm making an academic choice, if that's, what we, if that's how we're going to uh, paint the situation, then I should be able to make that choice. I shouldn't be restricted yeah. because of my athletic st- my, my status as an athlete. You know, if, 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 again, if you're giving me this scholarship of free education and I decide I don't want that and I'd rather get a free education from somewhere else, if it's truly a free education, then my status as an athlete shouldn't change that. No other scholarship student yeah. has to get out a year if they decide to transfer. Yeah, because if you're a presidential scholar and then they decide they're going to give you the same level of scholarship at UPenn, there's no sitting out. You just get that right. scholarship and get on a plane and you go to UPenn. Right. So, you know, those kind of things I would, I would, are things I would love to see change. Um, again, for me, you know, I'm, 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 a, I'm a bit more uh, free market in my uh, feel for how college athletics should run. I think, you know, the regulation of, of – I, I, I don't believe in paying guys. Um, I believe that you just need to get out of the way. So you don't have to pay them because, I, I, you know, as, as a coach of female athletics, I'm a firm believer in Title IX, and I, I don't see a way in which you can fairly compensate across gender, across sport, 
um, mm-hmm. without some sort of bias towards the the, the major sports and the men the men the male athletic programs. I haven't seen a, a, a framework that allows that to happen in an equitable way. With that, mm-hmm. with that, I think uh, it's 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 best that. Uh, the NCAA just move, step aside. You know, if if athletes can get money, um, be compensated, um, just in, in the same way as a student who's on a music scholarship can perform in a band and get paid for gigs or have a record contract even, um, there's no reason that a student athlete shouldn't be able to, if a car deal, local car dealership wants to have them in a commercial and pay them to advertise, then why shouldn't they be able to do that? Um, you know, I, I think it's ridiculous that it is a, it, it, there's, a, there's a double standard. You know, again, if an art major wants to, you know, sell paintings and is able to, that doesn't prevent them from somehow studying art. You know, it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't match. So this idea that, you know, players being receiving uh, money or uh, outside resources outside of what the program provides them, or somehow um, creating some sort of competitive advantage, uh, I, I just I, I completely disagree with that. I don't think I don't think players have to be amateurs at all. Um, I don't think being amateur being an amateur somehow makes it makes guys run faster or jump higher. I don't. I'm, I'm waiting on the research that shows that being an amateur makes someone stronger or faster. So um, I don't see what the why we essentialize amateurism. That's a whole other conversation. You're listening to The Real Sports Guys, realsportsguys.com, RSG, Renegade Radio, brought to you by Resistance Digital. Check out our man Larry at Resistance Digital Solutions to get all your digital needs met at a very fair price. Larry, he'll come by. He does house calls. He'll hook you up. He'll make sure you have all the things you need to get your tech game upgraded to 2014 standards. So make sure you hit him up at resistancedigital.com. Now we're going to talk about the Super Bowl. The big game, best offense in the league versus the best defense in the league, what's going to give? Right? That's how we were billing this, fellas. Uh, yeah, it went south real fast. <laughs> now, before we, get into, before we get into talking about the actual game, um, you know, I kind of share a little bit of my Super Bowl day experience. You know, I spent the morning hanging out with my man, PhD. He came to town. We got to hang out a little bit, um, and then, you know, he had to catch a flight and get back to uh, the, the great state of Ohio. Um, and my man, D. Williams, you got a real interesting story about your Super Bowl experience I want you to share. So why don't you share with the listeners out there kind of how you spent some of your Super Bowl day? Well, you know, and, I, and every, you know, I got to start the story with this is the first year uh, my daughter is at home from college, so, so, so usually the way it's framed, they, they will spend Super Bowl with me uh, at the beginning of it, and then they go upstairs and watch Murder, She Wrote, and then I'm down and watching the game by myself, and they come back for the halftime things. So that's, that's how it's been going for like the last, <laughs> few, I would say, six, seven, eight years. Murder, She Wrote. So she's at college, so that changes the, that changes the dynamic, right? And I don't know if my wife is getting some sick, so she gets sick. So I decide to text my guy Mo, who's a regular on Real Sports Guys. And the game had already started, but I text him and said, let's go to this place we normally try to go. 
And, you know, earlier in the day he had texted me to see if I was doing it. And, you know, I had to negotiate the wife. I wasn't quite sure I could because we're real sports guys. we got families. And I was like, I don't know if I could do this. I'm going to stay home. I got So finally I said, forget it. Let's go out and do this. He's like, you're killing me. He said, I'll go if you text the owner and see if there's a place to see, sit. So I text my guy, Andy. Andy, about 10, 15, texted me back and said, it's in seating. So I said, let's meet out there. So we meet out there. And we walk in, and actually it's pretty empty. I'm surprised. So we sit down, you know, at, at the bar to sit, and he sits in one seat. I sit in the next. And we're watching the game, talking junk, and they taking a the kicking. And he's still trying to argue why Peyton Manning should get some in the little room. And we're going back and forth, and we find out there's this drawing for $10,000 if they return the kickoff, second-half kickoff back. I'm like, I don't know if there's going to be a chance in the world, but they got Harvard. So we watch Bruno. We're excited. Kickoff comes. They kick the ball off, and Harvard starts running down the field, and the place goes crazy. And I'm like, I cannot believe he's about to score. So he scores. Place goes wild, and they go to draw for this $10,000. So they set out the numbers. They're like, six, five, five. Now, I'm looking at mine. I got six, five, four. Next to me, this cat is quiet. My guy Mo is quiet, and he says, I think I won. You what? I think I won. This cat won $10,000, and he didn't even want to go out. It was the most incredible thing, place with wild. I'm looking at him, and I'm like, you know you better give me $2. You better give me something. You didn't even want to go out. I show everybody the text exchange that we had. People are laughing. And this cat who didn't want to go out won $10,000. Now, that's a Super Bowl story for you. And all I can say is you deserved it. <laughs> you know, you deserve it. Karma's with you today. It was the craziest yeah. night ever, man. I had a better night than Peyton. I can say that. <laughs> wow. Yeah, let's, let's yeah, talk about that. Night. Let's talk about that. You know, Peyton Manning, um, things just didn't work out for him. Do you think this hurts his, his how we view how we'll view him historically? Yes, and and not not because he's not in the conversation of the top ten quarterbacks of all time. And y'all know I call him the best regular season quarterback of all time. Now Mike Hill is still in my line. I'm tired of people still in my lines, man. I go on Twitter, they still in my lines. I can tell they listen in. Hey Mike. Uh, anyway. He is the best quarterback of all time. I, I'm not saying that. That but was old Death Row type of sneak this. Hey, Mike. That was like Death Row circa 96. <laughs> all in the video. <laughs> oh, man. But, but, but I think you can't have him at this point. And it could be a debate if it's for the room, whether or not he get in the room, or and it's definitely he can't get the big piece of chicken. So that, it hurts him for the big piece of chicken argument, even with his contemporaries. So I think that hurts him. And the one thing you've got to say is that one of the things that Peyton struggles with, when you hit him in the nose, his eyes start watering, he doesn't recover well when he gets behind a lot of games, like he gets more in a more blowouts when he gets down than a lot of great players I see. Like you bloody his eyes and you just don't see the adjustments. You see he's 
he's rattled. I think that's a flaw in the fact that he spends so much time in the preparation, which is his gift, but his curse is what makes a great player is the moment where Joe Montana says on a final drive, hey, that's John Candy over there. Just knowing it's less about you, it's about the guys you play with to get them right. And so much of when we talk about Peyton is about him and his preparation. It's not about how he gets those other guys to handle the pressure situation. And I think that's what makes players like Brady, Montana, and some of these other greats great. It's not just their preparation. It's the, what they do to help their teammates handle the moment. And I think that's where he falls short. Yeah, that's that's a real interesting take on it. That's a very interesting take on it. I want to bring PhD in. How do you feel about the, the, how the Super Bowl is going to impact uh, the historical narrative around Peyton Manning? Well, I I agree with Devon um, to a certain extent, where Peyton has now been to the Super Bowl three times, and he's lost twice. I don't, for better or for worse, quarterbacks get blamed for big wins or big losses, and they get the credit for big wins. And when you have other guys in that small room who are undefeated at the Super Bowl, such as Joe Montana, when you have guys who have won four Super Bowls, such as Montana, such as Bradshaw, I think you have a very difficult time saying that Peyton Manning is the best quarterback of all time. By winning a champ, well, by the success that he's had in the regular season and in his career in general, we can say that he's won the best ever. So with that just alone, he's in the damn Reno category. With the five MVPs, that elevates him past Marino. With the one championship, that elevates him past all guys who have never won championships and probably most guys who have won one, just one. But when you start looking at guys who have won multiple ones, I think when we look back on history, if Peyton Manning does not win a second championship, even if he wins another MVP next year, when we look back in history and we look at Brady and Manning, we're going to say Brady got the best of that. And... You can't say that Peyton Manning is one of the best ever or the best ever when he wasn't even the best in his generation. The statistics may support him for that, but the three championships for Brady say that Brady was better. Hey, you, you took the words right out of my mouth. That's, that's how I feel about the whole situation. Um, I think it does kind of uh, – it, it, Peyton had a chance to kind of bump up his status. Do I think it hurts him? not in the sense that it somehow diminishes what he's accomplished to this point. It doesn't. He just missed an opportunity to kind of take that next step and put himself into a different category, into a different stratosphere. Um, so in the sense that he missed an opportunity, yeah. Um, you know, it's like you got 39 points and you got a wide-open layup to go for 40, and you let a dude run you down and block it, LeBron style. Um 39 is great. You had a great game. It's 39 points. But going for 40 is a little silly. Going for 40, just saying that, I went for 40. Sounds a little bit, there's a little bit more to it. It's still a great performance, still a great game, but there's a little bit more to going for 40. Going for 40 puts you in a different category. 
because you can just that idea. You went for forty. Um, it's a little bit different to use a basketball analogy. Um, so you know, that's where that's how I feel about it. On the flip side of it, how does this Super Bowl um, elevate the uh, the perception and the standing in the historical context of this Legion of Boom era Seattle Seahawks defense that is going to go down as one of the best defenses in the league history? In league history, I mean, if you shut down the best offense in the league, in league history, statistically in league history, and you held yeah. it to eight points. You held it to eight points. Yeah. You held it scoreless for that first half of the Super Bowl. How do you feel about where this defense stands in your eyes, PhD? I think that you put them just a hair below the 85 Bears. I believe you mm. put them... Again, talking about modern defenses, and I would say um, probably 1980 and beyond, because that's that that's kind of where I can start talking intelligently about defenses that have won championships. I believe you put them ahead of uh, defenses such as the Tampa Bay Buccaneers when they won, eh, I believe 2002-2003 against the Raiders. The Raiders had a really good offense that year, but it was not a record-setting offense. I also believe you put them ahead of the Ravens. And I'll tell you why you put them ahead of the Ravens and the Buccaneers. Because of the Denver Broncos and the success that the Broncos had in the regular season in terms of record-setting offense and Peyton Manning, one of the best quarterbacks to ever play. So when you put all that together and you look at, say, the Ravens who won, and again, I'm I'm not talking about the most recent Raven championship. I'm talking about the one in 2000 uh, when they beat, I believe it was in New York. So when you look at that, New uh, New York's quarterback was Kerry Collins, I believe. Um, And again, that Raider team that the Buccaneers won, good offense with Gannon. Also had, who else was on that team? It was Jerry Rice and, and Tim. Um, Charlie Garner. Uh, yeah. So I uh, I would put them, since 1980, I'd put them right behind the Chicago Bears in terms of defense. Now, this is a young team, one of the youngest teams uh, since the Bears, 85 Bears, the youngest team to win a Super Bowl. D. Wills, what do you think about their chances to create a dynasty in Seattle? Uh, I, I think they have a good chance, and a lot of it is um, because of everything that has nothing to do with the players but has a lot to do with Pete Carroll. Um, I think he has he's the kind of person who can attract good players uh, to do it. And, um, you know, I think from a Super Bowl performance, um, I could agree with PhD, but from an all-time over longevity, those other defenses did it over three, four, five years. So I would actually put them – from a Super Bowl standpoint, I agree with the order. From a from a defense of all time over time, I think they're they're um, yet to be determined. Um, and I think if they do it for two or three more years, then I think you can start to compare. And I think because um, they have the opportunity to maybe attract people because of Carroll, I think they could sustain it a little bit with the style of play uh, they that they play with. Um, but free agency will dictate. I mean, it's much more difficult time to hold teams together. Um, I think a lot of it will have a lot to do with how their offense grows, um, how they expand in terms of the receiving core to have more of a balance between their offense and their defense. 
Um, but I think, you know, I think the leadership they have, I think the organization culture, and I think Carol's ability to uh, do talent development, assess people, attract people, coaches and others to, to be a part of what he's doing is what could help them be that kind of dynasty, maybe to win two of the next three. Um, but don't forget, I mean, in their, in their, in their division, they've got an Arizona team that's strong, and they've got a San Francisco team that's not going to be laying down. So, you know, that also has to fit into the equation. Yeah, and, and my two cents is, you know, I think they're in the conversation um, with the 85 Bears, with the 2000 Ravens, with the uh, early 2000s Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, I think they're in those they're in that conversation with those defenses as far yeah. as uh, when you talk about great signature defenses of the modern era um, that won championships. Because you also have some defenses that were excellent that didn't win championships. We talk about the Eagles defenses that they had in the early 90s with Reggie White, Jerome Brown, Clyde yeah. Simmons, Seth Joyner, uh, you know, Andre Waters, uh, Eric Allen, all those guys. Great defense. Great defense. Didn't win any titles. Where CL is elite versus all those other defenses, I would say, is that their defensive backfield is probably better than all the other ones as a complete unit. But where the difference is with those other teams, where the longevity piece comes from, is that the front sevens of all those other teams were much better than the front seven of Seattle. Even though Seattle has a great front seven, whatever, the front sevens of those other those, – they got Hall of Famers on those other front sevens, um, whereas their defensive backfield sometimes got masked because that front seven was so dominant. Well, yeah. well Devon, I, that's a good point, but I think Seattle's defense is built to win in 2014, 2013. Mm-hmm. The, they're built to win in today's NFL. Twenty years ago, or you know, fourteen years ago, when the Raiders won, you probably needed a defense that was that had a strong front seven, or or an elite front seven and a decent backfield. Where we where you look at Seattle, they have an elite defensive backfield and a and a very above average to good um, front seven. And in today's NFL, that's what you need to dominate like they did. You can try to put quarter, uh, pressure on the quarterback, but <laughs> elite elite defenses only put pressure on the quarterback an additional five to six times a game compared to very good defenses. When you have a defensive backfield that can cover, like these guys cover, it makes your front seven that much better. I would argue that an elite defensive backfield makes your front seven a lot better more better than the reverse of that, where you have an elite uh, front seven that makes the defensive backfield better. But but I would argue that people like Brooks and some of these linebackers that they have in those other units, can, they were running with receivers. They can still run receivers today. So, I mean, I've got – and their defensive backfield – this defensive backfield is better, but not much better than some of those defensive backfields. I said they're better. I didn't say they were that much better, but the front seven were way better. So I'm, I'm not saying that I'm not I'm saying their their back their back half is better, but the gap between their back half and the back half of these other defenses is not as great as the front seven of these other defenses. Would you say that Seattle had a front their front seven this year? Would you say they were top five in the NFL? Uh, 
Um, I mean, it could be a battle for them even in their own division. I mean, think about Arizona's front seven and San Francisco's front seven in their own division. Then think about uh, 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 Carolina's front seven. So I'm just thinking about the NFC. There's a battle for them that people could argue. People are arguing whether or not Carolina's front seven or their defense was as dominant. Well, I mean, people can argue that. but it's just in their own division. I'm not even going over to AFC. So my question is, do you think Seattle had a – in terms of front sevens, do you think they had a top five front seven? Yeah, but that, that, but, but I would say even today that's not saying <laughs> much. Hmm. You know, that, that's not like saying, like, you're a top three center in the NBA. Huh. It's good, but is it? When people are throwing, like, 40 times a game? I mean, so I, I do think they had a great front seven, but, I, you know, I, I think their back half allowed for pressure to happen the way that they were. Physical receivers, you know, they were the most penalized team in terms of pass interference. So they, they basically decided we're just going to get called for it, but we're going we're gonna to instill our will on the game. That was a strategic decision made all season long. I think the thing about Seattle when you, when you, that, see, Seattle in some regards, the Roy Hibbert rule comes into play, where we're just getting we're just getting to know these guys, and they're not household names. But when you look at the numbers, and when you look at what they've done over home, the Roy Hibbert rule. I think Roy Hibbert. That's right. The Roy Hibbert rule pretty much says. <laughs> Go ahead, man. <laughs> the Roy Hibbert rule pretty much says that we get really excited about household names. And a guy like Roy Hibbert can put up huge numbers in the playoffs. He can put up very good numbers in the in the regular season. But there's something about him that just doesn't get us excited. Um, we just don't, you know, view him as elite, um, even though he may be putting those numbers up. I would argue that um, the Roy Hibbert rule comes into play with the Seattle defense. These other two defenses that we've been talking about, comparing them to the Tampa Bay defense, excellent defense, the Raven defense, excellent defense, they had at least two or three Hall of Famers on that team. When you look at the Ravens, they had Woodson, um, Ray Lewis, Suggs will probably be a Hall of Famer. Ed Reed, well, no, Ed Reed came after. Uh, and, and then you look at Tampa Bay, Sapp, you know, Lynch is a borderline Hall of Famer. Rondé Barber will probably be in the Hall of Fame at some point. Brooks just got into the Hall of Fame. Uh, they have other guys like Simeon Ray, Rice. Um, those are household names, and we're just not there quite yet with Seattle. So when you look at the impact that they made against one of the best offenses, period, and if you look at the run over the past two years, I believe they're, what, 15-1 and one at home? Um, that has a lot more to do with their defense than their offense. And the 12th man. So while you guys are going and, and debating this, I've been, what I've been doing is uh, just, look, just looking up some of these defenses. All right. And so, um, so far I've gotten to the 2000 Ravens. Um, and looking at what the Bears did, the 85 Bears, and I know 
everybody that's not a Bear fan hates the fact that Bear fans always bring up 85. <laughs> you know, that's day one. <laughs> that's day one. <laughs> but I will say this Bears 85 defense, divisional playoff round versus the New York Giants, 21-0. NFC Championship versus the, Los, versus the Los Angeles Rams. The Los Angeles Rams. L.A. had football back then, people. Uh, 24-0. Then they got to the Super Bowl against the New England Patriots, 46-10. They gave up 10 points in the whole playoff run. It's, yeah. pretty, it's pretty wild. Um, on the way to doing that, right, on the way to doing that, they held Phil Simms in the New York, when they played New York, they held Phil Simms 209 yards, sacked him, sacked him for 60 yards, and held Joe Morris, the uh, NFL's regular season touchdown leader that season, the 32 yards on 12 carries. Mm. The next game, they go against the Los Angeles Rams, who had a guy named Eric Dickerson who was pretty good. Um, I don't know if you ever heard of him. Uh, he only ran for 46 yards on the Bears, and the Rams' quarterback was Dieter Brock. <laughs> <laughs> and he completed 10 passes for 66 yards. Yikes. All right? And then in the Super Bowl, in the Super Bowl, they, 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 they just went nuts and and – Totally, completely, utterly shut down Tony Eason and Steve Grogan, um, the quarterbacks for the New England Patriots. So while they ran amok, they weren't, other than Phil Simms, Eric Dickerson, Joe Morris, they wasn't going against necessarily world beaters as far as, you know, offensive juggernauts. Now, where the Seahawks, I, I might give a little bit more props to them. And I'm not taking anything away from the Bears, but shutting down Drew Brees, who's a Hall of Fame quarterback, giving it to Kaepernick, who we'll see. And and then just, I mean, Tebow could have got eight points. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, that's Peyton, though. I mean, that's Peyton Manning, and he, he got eight points. He's only put up eight. So, I mean, yeah, that, I, that, that's pretty impressive. I mean, it's just Peyton Manning. Because when it, it, it's, it's, this guy's about the numbers, and he couldn't put up his numbers. You know, he couldn't get his numbers. That says a lot. So, you know, I think, I think both of you have made one key point that I, I, I would carry forward for the listeners out there, is that we may not have seen the best of this defense yet. That's, that's what I think – is a scary piece is that it's still pretty young and we still don't know a lot about these guys and their philosophy as far as player development and player acquisition is draft and develop. And so if they're about drafting and developing guys, this is a team that if they continue to hit on draft picks and bring in the right kind of guys that fit into their system and they seem to have a philosophy and things seem to go their way through the draft, it's a team that could be in the mix for a while because they're not depending upon free agency and they can bring in guys who fit their scheme and teach them the scheme um, as they go through. You know, a lot like Belichick has done in New England where, you know, they bring in kids, teach them the scheme. They, they make smart free agent pickups. They don't just run after everybody. They try and be a little smart, try and pick up guys that nobody else wants, some of those uh, quote-unquote bad character guys, and make it work. Um, we'll see, man. I, I, I mean, there's the potential is there for a dynasty. Dynasties are so hard, and you hate to use that term in 2014 because it just doesn't apply. 
and it's just that difficult. But given that, though, you know, would you give here's – here's a question. Here's an interesting perspective to take on the Peyton Manning situation. Would you give Peyton Manning a bit of a pass, a leg up on, for example, a, uh, a Joe Montana or a Dan Marino or even a John Elway? Because they played in an era where dynasties were easier to sustain. So, you know, people talk about how, you know, the impact of free agency and how that kind of lessens the value of a Super Bowl championship now because you don't have dynasties. Well, think about it. If you're a quarterback in one of those dynasties, how much does being able to keep everybody together help you win a bunch of championships, you know? And you're going to get the credit for it because you're the quarterback, and that's how we do it. But the fact that you played in an era where you could keep a team together seven, eight, nine seasons, you could keep a core group of 15 to 16 dudes together. Um, that played a big part in it, you know? That played a big I, part I in Joe Montana being able to have that run. But I, I would say that Peyton is an exception because I think his core guys of Dallas Clark, Marvin Harrison, who was elite, um, Edron James, and all these folks, I mean, he had those folks together for like, what, six, seven, eight years. His core. But the thing about players, it was they couldn't do it on the other side of the ball. They couldn't maintain it on the other side of the ball because there's only so much bread yeah, to go around. But, 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 but when you look at it, when you talk about those 49 ers teams, you're talking about some pretty good defenses, too, though. But, but when you look you know, at it, the Michael Carter, the Charles Haley's, you know, those are some headbangers. Ronnie Lott. Those boys got it. Yeah, but he, 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 he had some people on his defense. If you look at his devastating losses, a lot of that wasn't attributed to his defense. A lot of that was mistakes he made with costly turnovers or losing 41 nothing uh, uh, on the roll against the Jets in the playoffs. I oh, mean, no doubt. Uh, no doubt. But what I will say is when you have a great defense, Yes. When you have a great defense, so it gives you a little leeway to make those mistakes and still recover from them. Joe Montana wasn't perfect. He had some yeah, rough games. But, 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 but your defense can come when, when you got Brady, when you got a complete Brady when you got a complete team word. around Brady. you. Brady wants a defense you got, that worked. Brady, come on now, and he had a defensive head coach for a lot of that run. But they didn't have they didn't have the resources to bring in the defensive talent that they needed. They didn't. Give me one linebacker, one notable linebacker that ever played during that era. For the, for, they had the two defensive ends, Freeney and Mathis, and then Bob Sanders. That was it. And none of those guys are all the A lot of people. You already on score. All you got to do is stop them for one or two touchdowns. Their losses weren't because their defense wasn't playing well. You go back and look at that. It wasn't because their defense wasn't playing well. Their defense actually played better down the stretch and in playoffs. I would say this. When other teams lose, if, when Marino lost, it wasn't because Marino lost because time ran out. Faust lost because time ran out. But Manning lost because he threw a pick six. <laughs> That's the difference. And people don't, people, people don't criticize him on that. I, I mean, people apologize for that stuff. Take your helmet off. Talk to some people. Like, you know, little yellow bus, take your helmet off. Like, when do you take your helmet off? I mean, talk to some people, man. Come on now. I love Manning. But he gets more excuses. People give him excuses since the time he was at Tennessee. He loves the Florida because of this. I've never seen anybody that great that people make more excuses about from the time he was in college. Excuses that he would even make. 
Like, and I'm not blaming him because Manny's not that kind of person. He would never make excuses that people make for him. All right. All right. Yeah. I'll move on. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> I'm ready to go. I was shutting down. Yeah. Now, they was, the fellas were like, oh, D, you don't came in here ripped up. You yeah, know, yeah. I, I never chose the crew like this. Right. I'm, I'm like, do we need to give you some space? Right. right. We need to give us some space to talk about Andy Reid too. Goodness. Oh, you know we can't talk about Reid, but I'm, I'm gonna try to be. I'm gonna try to move over there. I'm trying to go to rehab on him, man. You encouraged <laughs> me to do some work in my off season. I'm gonna try and find my inner self, be a little bit more tolerant of of, of Andy. So I'm gonna work on my inner. I mean. <laughs> Marcus Devon said they got the twelfth man too. I'm like, okay. Right, right. Really? Really? You know, when you're in a role for a long time, you can think a lot, think about a lot of stuff, man. That stuff comes to your mind. I just, I can't wait to get with y'all to just let y'all know what I've been thinking about. This is one of those situations where you walk into the boss office and he got the rod wallet sitting on the desk. You know, he got to run around on a chain right next to him. That's, that, that's D. Wills right now. That's D. Wills. He, you know, we in there trying to have a debate with him. He, he got the right round ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, Mike Hill set me off on Super Bowl Sunday, man. I, I mean, uh, he just set me off, man. A lot of people biting our lines, man. Mike Hill, I know yeah. <laughs> Biting our lines. No, that came from PhD. <laughs> Right, right. You're going to hear people talking about the Luau Dang theory and, and, and Roy Hibbert rule. Yeah, man, it's still our stuff. That's ours. That's ours. You listen to the Real Sports Guys, realsportsguys.com, RSG. Renegade Radio brought to you by Resistance Digital. Uh, we're going to transition, but before we do, um, we're going to pay a few bills. So let's get it done. Let's get it done. Let's get it done. Where's the commercial? Where's the commercial? Here we go. Boom. Resistance Digital Solutions. Are you tired of running to the boys in blue? Are you done with listening to sales staff trying to upsell you technology that you don't need? We've all been there. So, what did the real sports guys do? We contacted Resistance Digital Solutions for all our technology needs. They are not there to meet sales quotas or make profit margins. They simply just want to sell you what you need at a fair price. From iPads to PCs to flat screens, TVs, or intricate home theater systems, they customize every solution based on your needs. Check out their website at www.resistancedigital.com or email them at sales at resistancedigital.com for your custom technology solutions today. Yes, sir. All right, so now we're going to transition, and I'm going to see if I can make these guys mad. I'm going to see if I can drive these dudes crazy. And, you know, we go, we go, we go. I'm gonna test this out. I got, I got to again. I'm, I'm, I'm beginning to develop a new chapter in my book of Kobe. Um, and for those listeners out there that are new to the show, um, one of my mainstay uh, agendas, uh, perspectives, um, go through moves is to uh, diminish the value of the one Kobe being Bryant. <laughs> I'm just trying to shed light. You know, there's a lot of data out there. There's a lot of information out there that says maybe Kobe um, isn't as amazing as we as we have been led to believe. Um, the other guys all had him in their top ten um, when we did our 50 greatest 
NBA players of all time. I had him at 15. Um, I'm keeping <laughs> him at 15. Marcus, I can cut this intro way short. Uh, let, let, <laughs> let me just ask two questions for yeah. the listeners that are not aware of your, uh, yeah, bias towards Kobe Bryant. <laughs> um, Devon, question one. How many championships does Kobe Bryant have? He has five, I believe. All right, question two. Devon, I'm sorry, Marcus. The game changer, based on your math and your rationale, how many championships does Kobe Bryant have in your book? Um, give me one moment. I'm putting, I'm pulling up my um, the game changers report. Um, it's similar to the Louis Free report. Um, I did some some crack research, um, some investigating. Uh, I think he has zero or maybe one. I have to read. I have to go back into the archives and double check. But he he has one or less. There you go, audience. So you know you're not really working with a very rational person, but go right ahead. Oh no, this is extremely rational. This is extremely rational. He, this is extremely. He has zero. Um, he has zero titles as what we would call an alpha, an alpha right. title, folks. Again, another RSG uh, exclusive. You're only gonna get this, this 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 perspective here. All right, an alpha title is a title where the player in question was the most important player on the team. Kobe Bryant has zero titles where he was the most important player on the team. All right, so now we're going to do a little theory busting. Um, Marcus, how many championships does Kareem Abdul-Jabbar have in your book, Alpha Titles? Um, Hold on, I'm going. He has two. He has two, okay. And how about Magic Johnson? Magic Johnson. Hold on, let me see. I'm going through the report. Going through the report. <laughs> going through the report. Okay, I got. I got to pull up my other data set. Pulling up the other data set. I got my files open right now. All right, I'm. I'm digging into the archives as we speak. Bear with me for a moment. I, I think Magic had. I want to say three, but that's off the top of my head. I'm waiting on my file to open up right now. When it opens, I'll give you a uh, a firm number. All right, right, you got it. I bought it. Here we go. Magic. Magic had Magic had uh four. Oh, okay. Magic had four, Kareem, Kareem had two. Kareem got one with the Bucks, and then he got one. One of those one of the five that Magic won goes to Kareem. Magic gets the other four. Okay. Okay. I mean you just ever you know, see somebody dig their own grave? Okay. Uh, go right ahead, Marcus. <laughs> I mean, you, you got any more questions? The theory's pretty uh, bulletproof, man. The theory's pretty bulletproof. Uh, I mean, if you were to, okay, all right. I'm just saying, it's a different kind of title. Again, Scottie Pippen has six rings. He has no alpha titles, zero alpha titles. He's never the best player on the team. He's never the best player. It doesn't mean he wasn't important. Doesn't mean he didn't contribute. He just wasn't that dude. That's all. Kobe's got five rings. He's got zero alpha titles. His ring, he's, he's still got his rings. I'm not taking the rings away from him. The alpha titles I'm did about thing. To, uh, I'm going to say, uh, uh, Gage, Gage, I'm about to tell a big, uh, a big showdown between you and, and Dr. Damon Williams because I told him about this. I, but this is going to be one of them. This might be a pay-per-view square off. This is going to be an RG exclusive. You might have to just pay to, to listen to this. It's a, a team sport. 
it's a team sport. We're not talking about Tiger Woods and how many, uh, you know, grand slams he's won, how many majors he's won. No, but we are talking about the little room. We're talking about the little room, fellas. We're talking about what it takes to get into the See, that's where that's where y'all got We just had this conversation about Peyton. Now, how come it applies to Peyton, but it don't apply to Kobe? We're talking about the little room. Well, my question is, is did the Miami Heat win a championship last year without Chris Bosh? No. Do they win a championship without Dwayne Wade? No. Were either one of them the best player on their team? No. Um, but in my book, they still have. Did Joe Montana win anything without Jerry Rice? Did Joe Montana win anything without Jerry Rice? No. Yes, he, he won doesn't. one championship. He won one championship without Rice. One. But, one. But I get your point. Did he win it without Dwight Clark? No, he does not. So um, yes, I, I'm, I'm, I'm acknowledging the team. It's a team sport. What I'm saying is, when we're talking about individual, when we're ranking players, we're not ranking the team. We rank it individuals. So we're talking about individuals. Well, my point they is... They can't go team sport when we're making a list of individuals. Well, my, my my argument is not what you're making right now. My argument is that in in my book, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, and LeBron James should get alpha championships for last year. Okay? Um now, I'm not saying that uh, Batty A should get credit for that. I, you know, I'm not saying the Birdman. No. I understand that there are people what about who Ray Allen? their teams. What about Ray Allen? Because uh, nothing uh, goes down without that brother. Nothing. Nothing. Uh, that team might not uh, even be together anymore. He made a huge play. He did. He did. But when you look at who are the key pillars of, the, of that team, I just think with the whole alpha – Standpoint. I mean, I get it. Alpha means top. Okay. <laughs> In right. this context, it means the person, not the group of players. Of course. I just have a hard time in a team sport. And again, I get that we're talking about the best players of all time. That we qualify and say that um, you know Magic doesn't get credit for Alpha credit for championships. You know, for certain championships because. Kareem was the top player that year based on some metric. I just have a very hard time swallowing that. And when you look at that, those Lakers championships, I don't believe they win any of those championships if Kobe Bryant or a player of Kobe Bryant's talent was not on that team. I just don't think so. Yeah. I'll buy the argument that Shaquille O'Neal may have been the best player on one of those three championships, on two of those three, perhaps all three. Okay? I'll give you that. But I just have a hard time saying that they still would have won a championship. I don't think the Heat still win a championship if they don't have Bosch or Dwayne Wade. And I agree with you. What I'm saying is is when we're talking about the individual, the value of an individual's career, and we start to count up championships and take championships into the equation. Because if you don't, if you if you don't if you don't count the championships, if you if you take championships out of it, Kobe's all right. <laughs> Kobe's 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 probably a top twenty-five guy then. When you take championships out of it, I agree. He's Dominique. He's Dominique. 
He's Gervin. He's any big-time scorer you can think of. When you take AI, he's any of those guys when you when you take championships out of it. But that's true. When you bring in the championships, when you bring in the championships, and you use that to boost the standing. But when, that's true. Exactly. Exactly. So then when everybody's got titles, then you have to go to, well, who's actually the best player on – whose team had – they had to be there for that team to even have a shot. Because while you can say Shaq – while you can say that the Lakers may not have won without somebody of Kobe's caliber, there's probably a couple other dudes you could plug in and they would have still won a title. You take Shaq off that team, they're not winning a title. I question that. No, you can't question that. The year Shaq would have had during those years, the way Shaq was playing during those years, and he was, I mean, this, who else would you, no. You take Shaq off those teams, they don't win titles. You take I, Mike off those Bulls teams, yep, they're still pretty good, but they're not winning titles. They're not winning six. See, see, I have a hard time when we are talking about in objective measures, such as championships. And then, I mean, because that's what happened. The, the Lakers won. They won five chips with Kobe Bryant in the starting lineup. But then we started talking about what if. Well, what if this, what if that. That's not what happened. I can, I, can go, happened. I can go to the metrics. I can go to the numbers. I can go to the metrics. Again, the metrics agree with me. The metrics agree with me on this. The numbers agree with me on this one. The perception and the uh, the subjective <laughs> view agrees with you guys. The objective view, the statistical based view, agrees with me. Actually, well, that's assuming that your metrics are bulletproof. Okay, I mean that's assuming that this yeah. whole wind shear thing is not flawed, and we know that all metrics there is some kind of flaw there. There are. It's simple, like things as simple as points per game. There's some kind of flaw. There's some kind of flaw. Okay, I averaged 35 points a game. Well, what did your team do? We lost in the first round of the playoffs. Exactly, and that's where we go with Kobe. And that's where we go with Kobe because that's Kobe's Kobe's go-to. I scored a lot of points. When you were by yourself and you scored, and that leads me to my conversation. Thank you for that amazing segue. So you scored a lot of points. You had all these. You scored all these points, and that's why we revere Kobe because he's a great scorer. But when you was by yourself and you were scoring all these points, your team did not win. And so, it, what what really brought me to this to begin to develop this next chapter of the uh, the book of Kobe was this whole Durant, Kevin Durant, going on this streak, and the fact that he's doing this, he's efficient, he's creating, he's making people around him better, and his team is winning. And he's without his second best player on his team, and his team hasn't missed a beat. Without another guy who would be in the top thirty to forty NBA players, like Ibaka may crack the top forty NBA players in the league, maybe. Whereas Kobe at twenty six in his prime, twenty seven. He wasn't, he wasn't able to do this. So the question I would ask, the first question I'm going to ask you is, both of you, and you guys can take your time and answer, who would you take? Kevin Durant at 25 
or Kobe Bryant at 25? Steve Wills, who would you take? Kobe Bryant. Because why? Because I think the part that people miss on this, the numbers are good, but I think with, with, with Kobe, I think Kobe, my sense of Kobe's dog meter is higher than Durant. I like Durant. He's 6'11". Based on what? But but Kobe, Kobe, Kobe does it. On, I like Kobe does it on both ends. So does Durant. I don't think Durant. Durant, you don't fear Durant on defense. You fall into you falling into the you fall into the misconception. There's information. There's information out there that says otherwise, brother. Kobe creates offense from defense. I feel more than Durant creates offense for defense. Kobe energizes. That's the most what? Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm getting, I'm, getting, I'm, getting, I'm getting numbers right now. I'm getting numbers right now. I'm getting numbers right now. You do, you do your thing. Kevin Durant is not going to be an all-defensive team. Uh, I don't know. He might He might sneak on one this year. Come on now. Come on now. Come on now. Now, I'm giving you a lot of your you, – I mean, as you know, some of you, it's good with the, the, the quantitative stuff you have, but also there's qualitative. Mixed methods are probably better. I got PhD there. <laughs> If you if you go if you're gonna if you're gonna also get some of them nuances. That's the problem with men. Is we, we the the qualitative pieces are as important as the quantitative, right? And so uh, we gotta break down that as part of the analysis. You gotta get into the qualitative stuff. But on the other side of it, I just don't you you don't fear him on on defense. Now, he is such a a, a machine on offense, he may affect the way you play defense, but he don't really change the game on defense then. Durant, Durant is a a good defender, I believe. Uh, I would put him in the average to above average, perhaps a good category. Kobe Bryant was on nine first team All NBAs, and and I get that sometimes the best defensive players don't make this team, the All Defensive Team. I get that, but my man made nine of them. <laughs> Let's. Let's just say he's a better defender than Durant. Again, when we look at the numbers, the numbers don't say that. They don't. They just don't. You know, yes, he's he's been in the league a lot longer. What I'm saying is, is I, I'm I'm willing to bet money Durant makes on defense this year. His defense is much better than advertised. People just haven't caught on yet. Honestly, people okay. just haven't caught on. The dude has been averaging a steal, close to a steal and a half and a block for the last three years per game. When you look at his defensive win shares compared to Kobe's at the same ages, they're not they're not off. When you look at his defensive rating compared to Kobe's, again these metrics account for era, pace, all that kind of but, stuff. But, but, but they're not off. Yeah, they're but, similar. But, but, we, but when I, when I look, when I look at that, and I know they're probably making adjustments for it, but the game that Kobe came in playing, it's kind of like when people talk about offenses today and quarterbacks today. When the rules allow for you to have your window is much bigger as a quarterback, you're going to put up big numbers. That were my Exactly. So Durant's playing in a league where he can't even play the defense that Kobe could play. No. Ah. No, ah. But, but, Kobe's but, but, defense but, but, was easier back then. Defense was easier back then. Hold it. Hold it. But what I'm saying, but, but on the other end, you can't play the defense on him. So when you think about his effectiveness on both ends of the court, the things he gets away with offensively, he would never be able to get away with that well. And right, what, but what I'm saying is Kobe at 25 so was 2003, 2004. 
Kobe, two, Kobe was 2003, 2004. You couldn't touch people, but you couldn't touch people back then. We're not talking like Kobe was. Kobe wasn't 91. Kobe wasn't around in 91. Kobe wasn't around in 91. So let's not let's not try that. They, there's there's significant overlap between these two. Kobe wasn't around in like 91. Kobe benefited from these rules just the same as Durant has. No, not as much. It was towards the, probably the beginning of Kobe's first. Kobe at 25. Kobe at 25 was 2003. Devon. 2003, not 1993. 2003. Kobe at 25. But look at the rule changes even since then. There hasn't been. The league has been this way since Brian and Ben and He was in the league since he was what 18. I'm just saying. By that time, it was So, so again, what, what, what did you got that says, why would you take Kobe? Because when Kobe had his own squad, what happened, Devon? What happened? Who was Kobe trying to win against? When, no, I'm talking about, I'm, I'm not even talking no, about the play. I'm talking about this regular season. Where's the regular season oh, game? When he was 25 years old, what was the strength of what he was trying to compete against? Where's Durant trying to compete against? The West is probably the toughest it's ever been, Devon. To me, who was he competing against? You didn't answer my question. I'm asking you the question. Who was he competing against? That might help me understand. The Spurs. The Spurs. Who else was out West? Who? Nobody. I mean, the Mavericks and the, and the Mavericks and the Suns were kind of coming up. The East wasn't. The East wasn't thick. The East wasn't deep. <laughs> we look at deep. I think it was more than that out West. The East was indeed. I mean, in 2003, the Milwaukee Bucks were relevant. <laughs> when they right, had who Michael, 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 Ray Michael. Allen and Gary Payton. Marcus, can you please? Come on, help me out. Marcus, can you please make your case? We, you know, we have not allowed you to, to make your full <laughs> proposal. So, and, and and I've been guilty of it. I jumped on you before you even, you know, brought it up. But go right ahead. Yeah, I, knew, I knew it was going to go this way, though. I knew it was going to go this way. <laughs> Here's my point, all right? Not only would I take Kevin Durant, given what he's done at this point, at the age of 25 over Kobe Bryant at 25, but, again, I have him at 15. Other than Jerry West on my list, I would take any of my fifth, any of the guys above him at 25 over Kobe. And I, I stopped there. I, I, some of the other guys below him, are debatable. But I'm talking Shaq, Moses Malone, yep. Jay West, that's a maybe. Tim Duncan, yep. Akeem, yeah. LeBron, yeah. yep. Bill Russell, yeah. yep. Oscar Robinson. Yeah. But y'all got him above some of these dudes. Y'all got him above some of these dudes, though. This is my list. I got him at 15. Y'all tell me, I, y'all well, got him in the top 10. I got him like at 10 or 7. What I got? I, got above, I have him above Jerry West. Right? I take him above I Jerry hope so. West. Yeah, so I hope so. You love him so I think, much. I think I had Duncan ahead of him. Let me go look at my list. Okay. But what I'm saying is, is right now, when when Kobe again, when Kobe has had to do it on his own, his game does not equal victories. But yet we give him some sort of credit as being this ultimate winner. And when you talk about dog leader, his dog leader, I think his dog leader works in reverse. His dog leader makes him actually less likely to win games. His dog leader, when you talk about his dog leader versus Durant, the only difference between Kobe takes it too far. He goes from 
dogs is psycho. You know what I'm saying? He goes to the dog, and, and, and then it, it counteracts. It counteracts his impact. It makes his teammates not like him. It, you know, we talked about when we did the whole championship audit, when we talked about Isaiah and the intangible piece, that, there's an intangible piece with Kobe that goes the other way. He doesn't inspire folks. He doesn't put guys who want to be their best. It, it sounds like you're arguing the little, the little room. Now, I'm the one of the people not putting Kobe in the little room. Now, there's other people who put Kobe in the little room. But well, what I'm saying, I'm talking, about, I'm talking about Kobe versus Durant. I'm just talking about oh. Kobe versus Durant at 25. To me, yeah, to me that's still debatable. These young cats in this day and age, I, I still consider Kobe more that old mode than these guys. I got a little more bias against these young cats. I, LeBron is the one I give love. And what I'm saying is what has Kobe done to give you that bias? When he had his Durant own team, when he was in the same situation as Durant, he, he flopped. That's what I'm saying. That's my premise. When Kobe was in the same situation as Durant is in right now, he flopped. He didn't get it done. And that's, that's fact. That's proven. That's I, in I the agree, history book. I, I, that's I agree, undebatable. I think, he flopped. But I, but I think, he wanted out. Durant, he wanted out. I think Durant, he wanted out of L.A. Durant, he wanted to jump ship. I, so, again, yeah, even, I, at old, I, even saying he's old school, even, even saying he's old school, he's not old school because he wanted out. When it got rough, yeah. he wanted out. That's the same thing LeBron did. That's the same thing LeBron did. Yeah, and it's the same thing we said Kobe would have done that. Kobe wanted out. They are more soft anyway. You know, I think Durant's competing in a softer league. They all pals. I just think they soft. Divine. Divine. I like Durant. He's elite. He and Kobe played four years in the nineties. Kobe played four years in the nineties. That's it. Kobe played four years in the nineties. That's it. There's more talent in the league today. Than it was in Kobe's prime. Like go back but, and look at not, who who, who are all star teams. Oh, they're not soft today. Come on now, you 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 a banger. You are, you are you got a hardcore way to play the game. You tell me. But what like I'm saying is, by the time Kobe hit his stride, Devon, it, it was like it is now. It was like it is now. Jamal McGlure made an all star team in the early two. I, I, I don't I don't think I, I think I think today they soft, but that's okay. Maybe that's my opinion. Soft or not, what does that have to do with Kobe? What does that have to do with Kobe not being able to win? Yeah, how do you think they competing hard? Yeah, a lot of people would have lost to San Antonio. That's oh, oh, oh. But that's it. Dallas wasn't tough. The Phoenix Suns wasn't tough. That wasn't a hard squad. They wasn't grimy. Uh, Mark, give me one hard. Give me other than San Antonio. Give me one grimy Western Conference team from the early 2000s. I'll wait. Now, now for the listeners out there, I will put this out here. I am not a huge Kobe Bryant fan. I just respect what he's done. Yeah. Um, if there are any therapists out there, please send us an email if you're willing to treat the game changer. He uh, he has some <laughs> issues against Kobe Bryant. <laughs> So what has Kobe done? He's got five rings, right? He's got his five rings. But when Kobe, again, going back to my premise, when Kobe was in the same situation, when Kobe was in the same situation as Durant, what happened, Devon? He flopped. At that point, the Western Conference, you got one early. It's kind of early to say what Durant's going to do in a full season without Westbrook. I mean, Kobe's yeah. had. You can go by what he's already done. You can go by what he's already done. Yeah, 
if we just Kobe look at team it, was the Kobe squad was the eight seed. Phil T. He's eight seed. Kobe won by the time Kobe was twenty five. Well, I'm saying when he was when he was in the same situation, what happened? He did not win a championship. He didn't. I mean, assuming Westbrook doesn't make it back, we need to wait and see what's the outcome of Durant's season. Because there's a possibility with just Durant right now, they could get bounced early from the playoffs. Yeah, I don't see that happening. And and even if they did, even if they did, Kobe's team was an eight seed. They're not going to be an eight seed. That's what I'm saying. Like you can, you can, you can try and quantify it along the way, however you want. They're already on to be better than what Kobe ever did by himself. Already. Uh, yeah. I, who, I, who, who was who was who was on that Kobe squad? It wasn't a good team, but who's on his team? Who's on the Oklahoma Kobe, City? Who was on that Kobe squad? Chris Parker, Karan Butler, Lamar Odom, a young young Andrew Bynum. Yeah. Who's on this team? Who's on, who's on OKC? Ibaka. Kendrick. Who else you got, Devon? You got Ibaka and who else? Kendrick Perkins. Tabo. Tabo. Go see your name. Tabo Tepelosha. And none of them were at the Playboy Club. <laughs> We're going to have to continue this another time That does it for this edition of the Real Sports Guys RealSportsGuys.com RSG, Renegade Radio Catch you next Tuesday, same time, same place Blog Talk Radio, peace